I had asked Nick to be on my podcast a while ago, and he he said no. <laughs> Hosting a cocktail party will let you bring these people together, add value to them, and then keep yourself top of mind so they're willing to refer some new business your way. This is Philip Van Nostrand, and you are listening to the Epic Freelance Life Podcast. How to make more money and live an epic freelance life. Okay, okay. Welcome back. This is Phil with the Epic Freelance Life Podcast. I'm here with my friend Nick Gray, who I've known for a little while through interesting circumstances in New York. But Nick, why don't you introduce yourself real quick and tell us what you're about? Hello, my name is Nick Gray. I'm going to try to convince you about why you should host a party to grow your business or to make new friends. But I think I was most famous. I started a company called Museum Hack that had a lot of social currency and a lot of people were fascinated. Museum Hack did renegade museum tours at some of the biggest, best museums in the world. We started at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And what was renegade was I would hire people like stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to lead the museum tours. That grew to a multi-million dollar business where big companies like Google, GE, and Nike would hire us for team building experiences. And then I sold that company in 2019. And now I'm obsessed with teaching people how to host a well-run two-hour cocktail party. Yeah. And I've, I've experienced one of your gatherings, like your cocktail parties, and I've also hosted a couple of my own. So why... And my, my interest for this podcast in particular is to like get into the nitty gritty of why you're the best at this one particular thing. And I want to know why you are obsessed with hosting cocktail parties. So first, I was never a, a host in the past. I wasn't very like popular or cool in mm. high school or in college. And I started to host parties when I moved to New York because I, I just wanted to make friends. And I wasn't having success at networking events or meeting people or anything. So I started experimenting. And through trial and error and hosting hundreds of different events and dinner parties, I settled on this kind of cocktail party format for me that just works the best with the least amount of effort that, that got the best results. And I think that ultimately I'm obsessed with it because I love to meet new people and like yeah. to sort of introduce my friends together. That, that really yes. brings me joy. You're, you're what some would call like a super connector, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I like that. Even even before this, like we were talking for five minutes before we started recording, and um, already Nick is connecting me with two of his friends who just moved to my neighborhood in New York. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a few like that. You know, I think Dory Clark is kind of a super connector as well, and, and Jeremy yes. Redleaf a little bit. So there's some people that that we know that like know a lot of people and are into kind of introducing them to others. Um, you, so what we haven't even talked about yet, which is very exciting, is that you literally just put out a new book about this exact topic, like your formula for hosting the perfect cocktail party, correct? Yes, yes. It's called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. And it's a brand new book that I just put out that's everything that I've learned over the last five years of training and working and teaching other people, oh, which by the way, this is just like a hobby. I don't like charge money to teach you how to do this. I'm just so passionate mm -hmm. about it. And I saw how many benefits I got in my life and how many other people got them. So I wrote a book to try to bring it to a wider audience. Yeah. And I'll say this, I, I'm like 80% done reading through the book. And I was a part of your early days, like hosting gym. You had a Facebook group that was yes. like 
for people who wanted to, this was, I think maybe like the inception for the whole book, probably exactly this, face, this Facebook group that kind of, um, was mentoring people and hosting their own cocktail parties. And I have to say what's fascinating to me about this book and your style of hosting a party is that it's, it's like almost bulletproof. If you follow everything that Nick does to a letter and he <laughs> gives you scripts and all these things, it's almost impossible to fail, which is hard to imagine with something that has so many components, like inviting people, setting it up, blah, blah, blah. But it, it works so good. And I'm very, very impressed with your system. Thank you for saying that. That's one of the best compliments I've ever received. And you saying that as a host and as a connector yourself, who's mm -hmm. been to so many events, that really means a lot yeah, to me. So, so thank you very much. Yeah, I live in the event world, but um, but it's just so good. It's so fun. So um, you, I, you know, I follow you on Instagram, and if any of you are out there just have never heard of Nick Gray, you you gotta follow this guy on Instagram and follow his. Um, newsletter because I find you to be like sort of fascinating and in a very eccentric way. <laughs> and I, I mean that as a compliment. Uh -huh. um, but I, I follow you on Instagram. I see you doing parties like all the time, you, all the time. You moved to Austin and all of a sudden you were just like literally everywhere. Uh -huh. I want to know how many gatherings you are a part of every month, either hosting or attending. When average. things are busy. So I will say that as an event host and attendee yourself, you know that the summertime is usually a lot slower for smaller social gatherings. It's when mm -hmm. people are on vacations. There's maybe larger events like weddings. But for the smaller events, which is where I thrive, these 15 to 30, 30 sort of people events, it's a much smaller time in the summer. But I would say that maybe two a week when things are going, and maybe I will host every two weeks myself, but then I'm just attending other stuff. That's amazing. So I'm hearing you say two plus six, eight, something like 10 to 15 events a month. Um, I think probably like 10 events a month. Yeah. Hmm. Is, do you ever get like pushback from introverts in your life about yes. this lifestyle? You want to talk about that a little bit? Cause I think that's a huge one. Yeah. A lot of what I've written in my book is to help you host a party that will make these introverts or shy people feel more comfortable. And a lot of it is, how do you give them sort of an outline and, and let them know the expectations of what's going to happen at the party? So we do that in little ways. One, the biggest one, we have name tags. Everybody mm -hmm. has name tags at the party. That is a non-negotiable. And it might sound silly or formal, but it actually really helps to create new connections in a variety of ways. Number one, well, you don't have to stress about trying to remember somebody's name. Number two, and you may appreciate this. Think about like team sports when everybody wears a jersey. The name tag is almost like a visual unifier of the group. It serves as a visual symbol that we're all on the same yeah. team and we're willing and ready to make new friends. And there's not like a click at this party. So I really like name tags for that. But it's other things yeah. like how we do the icebreakers when you go first and you announce the way around the room that it's going to go, letting people know in advance that there'll be an icebreaker, giving people maybe a brief agenda of the party, doing those things helps the introverts. Let's take doing a round of icebreakers, for, uh, for example. Sure. Um, I dated a woman who had a lot of social anxiety, and she said to me, when you don't say which way the icebreaker is going to go around the circle, and I'm worried that you're going to call on me randomly. Mm -hmm. That is so stressful for me. And I hate it. 
And so based on that feedback, I really help people to say, look, you need to tell people I'm going to go first and then can I go to you? And then the circle's going to go around this way. So people know like you just give them signposts along the way of how things are going to go. So I think that helps. Yeah, that, that's right. Basically like, yeah, p- people who have anxiety need to know what's going on. It makes them feel safe. So, and, and you do a really good job of sort of prepping people all along the way. I, I remember early on, um, you didn't mention this just now, but but having a hard end time, like mm-hmm. your parties are two hours maximum and people literally need to leave. Everyone leaves no matter what at the end of it. Uh-huh. Um, and you, you said, I, I remember that was like great for a host. It kind of protected the host so that there's no like lingerers, but also it protects the people with anxiety who are like, I don't know, I want to leave, but I, you know, I go forever. And so there's this like hard end to your, to your party structure. That's like after two hours, everyone goes. And I remember doing that and telling someone at my party, like, yeah, it's exactly two hours. And they're like, Oh my God, thank you so much for having like an end time. It it was like, they were so grateful to know that they could like leave. (laughs) That's a little life hack that once again, we're setting expectations. People know when it starts and it ends. Also, when you set an end time, people show up on time for your party. It's yes. not like a party where people show up an hour late. But also, it gives those people, because if you have social anxiety, you don't want to leave the party and like make a scene, be like, I don't want to be rude yep. and leave. But now when you end the party as a host, one, your guests are having fun and they want to come back. They're like, wow, that was awesome. You give them the gift of being able to go home early on a school night. And it also makes it easier for people. So it's a win-win, I think. Yeah, bulletproof, man. Like I said, I love it. <laughs> um, so my audience is, is mainly freelancers, solopreneurs, people who work for themselves. Why would one of us want to use your formula and host our own party? Like, what's the deal? So these parties are perfect for developing and building your network of what I would call loose connections or weak ties. And maybe you've seen this, Philip, that we find out about and get the most new business, the most new opportunities through this wider network of weak ties. Does that happen for you? Uh, Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. The moment I started going, yeah, exactly. It's like people I meet at conferences, friends friends. Yeah right? That it's not our three best friends that are giving us the most business, right? It's actually the inverse of like the 80-20 rule where it's like these people that we don't spend time with that we just know through LinkedIn and social media, they're the ones who refer and recommend us for new business. And so through your life as a freelancer, maybe as a solopreneur, maybe as a photographer, whatever, you're meeting all these interesting people but you may not be developing relationships with them. You're, you're not going to dinner or, or having a coffee with them. Or maybe you did do that once, but you haven't seen them in a year or two. Hosting a cocktail party will let you bring these people together, add value to them, and then keep yourself top of mind so they're willing to refer some new business your way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you've said it even in the book, like all of a sudden you become known as kind of like, the connector guy or someone who is good at hosting parties and and you end up getting invited to other parties, right? Right. You start to be introduced as someone who's like, oh my God, you got to meet Philip. He hosts these awesome little parties. You get introduced to other people. People think about you. They invite you to their parties. It just really helps fill up your social calendar if that's something that you're interested in. 
Absolutely. Uh, well, so I guess oh, one of the questions I, I really was curious about is like, what was one of the coolest um, things that have come out of one of your parties? Maybe like work job opportunities for people. I know you've heard tons of stories. So I'm curious, like what stands out to you about like benefits of hosting a party or attending one of these? The biggest benefit for me, well, there's two that I can think of. One, I launched my last business, Museum Hack, from hosting my events. I had met so many people. They came to one of my parties. They mm. knew that I ran a good event. And when I told them that I was now hosting these museum tours, they at least knew that like this is going to probably be well run. It might be weird, but it'll be well run. Yeah. And so <laughs> one, launching this business that for me was a major life thing, that directly came out of me hosting events. The second thing is when I moved, I moved from New York to um, Austin, Texas about a year and a half ago. I mm -hmm. used this exact format knowing nearly nobody here. I hit the ground and I knew I got to start to host events to meet people. And I used it to build up what now is a very rich social life with some friends that I really like and love. Yeah, I, I've seen you in some of my other friends' Instagram stories, which is funny. <laughs> That's funny. Like, I'm like, oh, there's Nick. He's at one of uh, my other friends' birthdays. Um, so, but what about like uh, in the book? You mentioned there was a guy. I think his name is Jordan or Jason or something. Yeah. A J name who who hosts freelancer gatherings in yes. Texas, maybe. And uh, have you talked to him much about what he does or what it's what's come out of that for them? Yeah, so Jason hosted freelance meetups in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, Atlanta. And he was having a situation which maybe some of your listeners have had if you host a meetup, is that of his RSVPs, only about 35% were showing up. This was before he read my book and used some of the methods. And he was hosting them on meetup.com. And you know, say 100 people would sign up, only 35 would show up. And that's actually pretty normal for the average event where... When it's easy to RSVP, when it's not a targeted invitation, very few people actually follow through and show up because life happens or whatever. We made a few modifications to his event structure, such as using guest bios, using one-to-one -one invitations, and sending a series of three reminder messages mm -hmm. that helped him improve his attendance ratio from 35% up to 60%. Now, Maybe you've seen this when you follow my book. When you follow my book, you get actually closer to a 90% attendance rate because yeah. you're doing targeted invitations, you're sending reminder messages. But for Jason, the benefits for him was building and developing a successful freelancer network and just staying in touch for these referrals through his own business. And he has now gotten to charge a lot more money for the same services that he was charging for three years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I I actually, I want to hear maybe your favorite story that has come out of other people hosting their own parties. Do you have anything that like, I like to hear like success stories from others, like people getting jobs, finding love, whatever. Um, I'm thinking about this woman, Mary Beth, who's a literary agent in Mexico City. And she was thinking, how do I, who do I invite to parties? Who, like who beyond my friends? And she was at a bar and she had just a funny interaction where a guy spilled a drink and he bought her another drink and she started mm -hmm. chatting with him. It's one of those small life interactions that probably nothing more would have happened from it. And yet in those five minutes of talking to this guy, she realized that he was really interesting. And so she invited him to her next cocktail party. 
he attended and they found out that they both worked in the same industry and they became, you know, they had a connection. They built a relationship out of that micro interaction that without her having an easy thing, because she just met this guy at a bar, you know, she, it was yeah. neat, but she wasn't going to set up a dinner or a one-on-one coffee, but instead giving that gift of inviting him to her party. And then at the party, they got to learn more about each other. So I think that's a, a, a just small sort of everyday example of the little wins that that sort of yeah. come out of this. You, you, she she would have a, never interacted with him again if she hadn't been thinking about like people to invite and, and expanding her circle of contacts. Yeah. I, like um, I have another win. A guy yeah. in New York City who is from New Zealand, his name is Sam, read my book and started to host meetups for people from New Zealand. And Sam read, you know, an early draft of my book and he started to use the format. He then, through people he met at this meetup, met somebody who invited him to a New Year's Eve ski trip. (laughs) And he said that ski trip was like a top 20 life moment. It was an amazing ski trip. And it's not like the party, you know, made the ski trip, but he wouldn't have gotten invited to the party if he wouldn't met this person on the ski trip, blah, 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 that for him hosting the party directly led to him being invited on the ski trip, which was a top life memory for him. So I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But basically like hosting these parties only enhances our lives, um, which, which for me is like a huge part of living an epic freelance life. It's not about the money I'm earning necessarily, but it's about the quality of people that I surround myself with. Yes. And the experiences that I'm having and, and hosting these parties as scary as it might sound only does that. It enhances your life and the people that you surround yourself with. Right. Yeah. And that's who I wrote the book is for someone who thinks this is scary. And just like you said, it's a bulletproof format so that you'll have success and it'll be a good event because the number one fear for a new host is that nobody will show up. Right. That's the yeah. number one. No, fear. you're right. I mean, oh, and, so I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but as I was reading his book, uh, your book, Nick, I um, I decided oh, I, sh- I should host another party again. <laughs> I just moved into a new place in Park Slope, and I'm inviting all people who live within walking distance of me. Um, and so I already have my five people, like my core people uh, said yes, RSVP'd, made my thing. I'm following your instructions. I bought your beautiful... I went to your link in the book to buy uh-huh. my um, cups, those little cups, like gold, yes. with the gold trim. I love yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and so my supplies are coming in via, via Amazon in a couple of days. Great. Um, and now that I have five people, like psychologically, other the, the outer circle of people, you call them great guests, uh, will be like a lot more inclined to RSVP. Yes, because we have a core group coming. That's a... Great point. And that's so huge is to invite your core group first. So you get five or six RSVPs, which build social proof. And then when you reach out to the wider group, random supplies question for you. Did yeah. are were you on the harmonica team? Do you have one? Oh. Did you use it in the past? <laughs> no, this is a funny. You- if you haven't read the book, what the hell? Um, Nick basically uses a harmonica to get people's attention, I guess, (laughs) right? To, to run like a, like if you need to sort of, it's like digging a glass at a wedding, you know, but instead it's Nick's harmonica. Um, I've never, I haven't ever done the harmonica. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) I would encourage you. And if you want to send me your address, I will ship you one, but I think you should do the harmonica and I consistently hear from people. I thought it was a dumb idea. This sounds terrible. (laughs) I didn't do it at my first party. 
And uh-huh. then they did it and they were like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? It's uh, silly, it's okay. goofy, but it works. Making me, I feel like hot and nervous already, but uh, I'll send you my address and uh, I'll, I'll receive it. your harmonica. <laughs> yes, good. Um, new harmonica, not used. Um, <laughs> so I guess, um, oh, one of my favorite things about this interview, by the way, is that I, I had asked Nick to be on my podcast a while ago and he, he said no. <laughs> did um, I say no? Yeah, you gotta yeah, get you these could. show notes. I know, man. Um, no, no, but it was it was before the book came out, and I okay, just like right. asked yes. you, and and you had um, like a hard, I don't know. I think you just had had a bad interview experience in the past or whatever, and so you just weren't doing it with people you didn't, you know, who weren't in your inner circle. And I, it was like, it, it like was really good for me, almost psychologically, like you know, th- therapy wise. Like I discussed it with my friends, and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. oh man, like I really I want this guy on my podcast now more than ever. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe, sorry, this is like a side pro tip for all our listeners in general. Like in most worlds, I would have just been like, all right, he doesn't want to be interviewed. It's fine. I'll respect that. I'm not going to bother him again. But I knew when your book came out that I had another opportunity. Yes. And so I reached out again, um, knowing that you had said no originally, but this time I made it like favorable to you. You know, I want to yeah. help promote your book. Yeah. Um, I still think you're a really fascinating person. And I'm just like excited to talk to you in general about anything. But, yeah. um, but I, I reached out again and miraculously you said yes. And it was beautiful. So I think there's something there to like not giving up, <laughs> you know, two, uh, two notes on that one. If yes. you are trying to get somebody on your podcast for anyone listening to this, anyone on book tour will generally do. I've been shocked at seeing some people that have been reaching out the big names that they've had on their tiny little podcast. And oh, what yeah. do they do? They focus on people that are on book tour because they or their PR people are just booking them nonstop for stuff. So that's one. Second, a little bit of background on why I said no. I did so many podcasts talking <laughs> about my last business, Museum Hack, yeah. that I didn't feel like I I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. And I was going through the of sale of my business. I was going through sort of an interesting time where I just didn't have anything that I felt I could really... Well, frankly, that I wanted to talk about or that I sure. thought I could add value in a new way. And so that was just kind of the phase that I went through. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Honestly, my, my friend, uh, Marianne Cantwell, she wrote Be a Free Range Human. 100%, that's her, that's her stick. She's like, if you want to do like an origin story, she's like, I have 50 other podcasts out there talking exactly that. You can find it anywhere online. Mm-hmm. But she's like very interested in talking about, you know, whatever niche topic the, to- the podcast should be about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that. And my, my interest in interviewing you originally and, and still now is like, if I, if anybody has followed Nick for at least like a month or two, you, you know that he lives like a sort of extraordinary, I feel like you live an extraordinary life. You're generally very happy. Um, you surround yourself with very interesting people and you're, and you're kind of like um, just doing cool stuff. Like your newsletter is amazing. I really think even though you would probably wouldn't call yourself a freelancer, um, I think you embody a lot of the the core values that I appreciate as someone who lives an epic, we'll just call it an epic life. You know, it may not be freelance life. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and yeah, so like maybe, maybe to segue into one of my final questions for you is um, what, like what habits have you integrated? Maybe this is obvious with your party planning and hosting and attending, but what habits have you integrated in your life to live your own epic life? 
What habits have I integrated? Well, I'm going and, to answer and, that, but first I want to give a shout out for your newsletter because you oh. have a newsletter and the last issue that I think you sent was around late February. Yes. Um, are, will you send another one? When this podcast comes out, will you plug it oh, yeah, in your newsletter? For sure, yeah, yeah. One thing I loved about your newsletter is all the photos that you include and they're beautiful photos. You mm. lead your newsletter with a little blurb at the top, but then you go straight into amazing, rich, perfect, beautiful yeah. photos. <laughs> and too many newsletters are just walls of text that really ask so much of me. Mm. And instead I view yours and it's like, I'm flipping through a magazine. And then at the bottom, you got this like top 10 list. Like mm -hmm. it's very, very good. And I would encourage you to do it a little more frequently. Thank you. Okay, I shall try. Um, I'm taking um, your advice on that one too. I'm going to intersperse my top 10 list throughout the photos next, next one. So yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, by the way, my, my question about like, uh, habits integrating is uh -huh. I just want to give one example for my own life. Like every year for the past seven years, I've, I've decided I will travel somewhere new on or around my birthday, like huh. either in the United States or in the world. And I've, and I've kept myself to that. So it's sort of, encourages me to continue to be like discover the world um, and and enhance my life in ways that I know are beautiful. So it's like a rule that I've placed in my life. I'm curious if you have stuff like that, habits that you've integrated to to live your best epic life. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that you do that world sort of travel trip around your birthday because I believe that to have an epic life, you need to host your birthday party on your actual birthday. Oh yeah. <laughs> So this is something I feel so strongly about that when you host your birthday party on your actual birthday, you get to ask your friends and you get to pull favors that you wouldn't get to pull otherwise. And what do I mean by that? I mean, doing extraordinary, epic things on your birthday, or maybe it's just getting people together, but you get to say, this is my freaking birthday. Please come to my party. Like, this is going to be awesome. I want you to come, whether it's an extravagant event or just a normal two-hour cocktail party, when you host your birthday party on your actual birthday, regardless of the day of week, it has to be on your actual birthday. So I feel right. strongly about that. Got it. <laughs> Is that your answer to, to habits that you, uh, that you do to live an epic life? I think that's one of the big ones. You know, there's a small one that I have, which is I always carry around a little notebook and a pen. It's usually mm -hmm. in my back left pocket. And as somebody tells me a good book recommendation or an idea or something interesting during the conversation, instead of taking my phone out to maybe send myself an email, I write it down in my notebook. I find it's much less of a state break because if I take my phone out, maybe I'll have some notification sure. that pulls me away from that moment. And so I write it down in my notebook. And then this is not something that you can just start to do. You can't start to become a notebook person. But instead, <laughs> the advice that I would suggest is buy one of those very small sort of moleskin or whatever. You're looking for roughly three by five inches. Yep. And use your first notebook. And your goal is to try to fill it up in one week. Do not treat it like a precious object. Mm. Write anything down. Scroll, scribble, have friends write on it. Just tear it up. The idea is just burn through it so that you don't treat these notebooks like a precious, everything I write has to be perfect. Oh my gosh, and, that's beautiful. So I write yeah. very large and I'm not, I'm not <laughs> treating it like a sacred, I'm just writing. Right. Yeah. 
Beautiful. I love that. And and also like what a great uh, example on how to just be more present. So yeah. thank you. Great tip. Um, I'm going to cut it right there. I, I love everything you've said. Highly, highly encourage people to check out Nick Gray's book, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. And um, I will link that in the show notes and I will have a blog by the time your podcast comes out. Thank um, you very much. Can I give two other plugs? Because I want these in the show notes. How to host... How to host a clothing swap. I've written a really good article about that. How to host a happy hour. How to plan a networking event. The book that I wrote, The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, even if you don't drink alcohol, I don't drink alcohol, but that phrase cocktail party encapsulates an idea for a lightweight social gathering that anyone can attend. And that's the most important part. A cocktail party is way easier than a dinner party. So that's what I encourage people to do. Great. Thank you so much, Nick. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. Sign up for Phil's newsletter. <laughs>